Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. Hey, we've been, the, we've been discussing this. We want to rebrand the brand because everyone knows what this brand looks like. Everyone knows what this brand represents. This brand represents what? McDonald's, fast food. What does this brand represent? <laughs> My point exactly. Ask five different people what this brand represents, you'll get five different responses. And that's the challenge. We want to rebrand the brand. We want to bring it back to the way that Jesus designed the brand to be. And he made it pretty clear. The way that you would define that brand is by their love. Wow, you've been listening, class. By their love, you would know my disciples. Not by their theology, not by the positions that they defend, not by the size of the churches they build, not by the music they sing, by their, say it again, love. By their love. By their love, you'll know my disciples. Jesus, in his final moments with his disciples, goes to the corner of a room in the upper room, and he prays. He prays, Lord, the way that the world will know there is a God and the way that the world will know that he is real and the way that the world will know that I am from you and I'm your son and I am God is that my followers will display this love by their love, by their behavior, by their behavior that's attributed to love. Here's the thing for me though, (laughs) and I don't know if it's true for you, I get so frustrated by the way that Christians behave sometimes. Wouldn't you agree? Including myself. I get frustrated at myself for the way that I behave sometimes. But why is it? Like, why is it that we, we come to church and, and, and we do what I call the Christian moo? You know, you sit there and I'll make a really good point today and you go, mmm, 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 good point, amen. People go, amen. If you're the handsy type, you'll even raise a hand. You'll go, great point. And you and I will walk out that door and we can still be just as bitter, just as self-interested, just as anxious just as fearful as everyone else. And so it kind of begs the question, do we just keep going on living like everyone else? Because Jesus says the way that you, the world will know there's a God is that these people will love and live differently. And yet we as Christians can just live like everyone else. Another way to put it is, is what is happening in here worth exporting out there? Ever pondered that question? Is the way that we love one another and care for one another and live as a community of believers worth exporting to the world out there? I'm not talking about the music and the lights or how slick we do Sundays and how slick our organizations are because look, Netflix and Apple are slick. They're slick. But they're not changing the world with love, right? And and we are the sort of church that can be slick and can be tight and can be excellent And we will always be resourced in these amazing ways and the incredible talented gifts that you've had. But my biggest question is, will we be Christ-like? What's happening in here worth exporting out there? Why this is so vital is, you don't have to go very far to read the newspaper at the moment to go, Christianity's got a pretty bad reputation. In fact, it's probably got no reputation. Uh, And there's been lots of stories at the moment of the way that Christians have behaved and it's wrecked it for everyone else. We can wreck it for everyone else because here's the thing, if the world doesn't like you because of Jesus, he says that's to be expected. <laughs> but if the world doesn't like Jesus because of you, 
That's a problem. <laughs> Thank you for that Christian move. That was <laughs> it's a problem. It's why we need to talk about this this morning. The way that we shortcut this behavior and the way that we muck up this behavior is through what I call loopholes. And you know what a loophole is. Loophole is finding a clever way to get around rules or the law. And uh, it's your way to get around a rule or law. And I think it comes naturally. I don't know if you ever did this as a kid. You know, you'd go out as a teenager and you'd come home to your parents and you'd say, you know, yes, there, there were parents at the home. You never told your parents they actually weren't at the party that you're attending and they just happened to come home at the end of the party, right? <laughs> Loophole. You know, if you're a rad like me, you go out there, big sign that says no skateboards. That's fine because I'm writing a skateboard, no plural. Right? <laughs> Loopholes. Some of you heading up 100 kilometers in the 90 zone on the Mount White area, you know, going up to Newcastle. Bit of, bit of dots on the windscreen, you know, drive 90 when wet. It's not raining, just spitting. <laughs> you know, we do this, Kristen. You know, I do this. Loopholes. We're, we're all good at, fi- we all do lo- lo- find loopholes, but Christians love loopholes. Christians love to find loopholes. All religious people like to find loopholes in the way that they can get around things. Every religion has a book or a document with a list. And they have all these other clever people too. We call them theologians. That help you find ways to get around what's written in the book or the list. Amen? And so we tend to ask as Christians all the time. I think this is as a pastor, this is the question that most of us tend to ask. We're really asking in our heads, how close can I get to sinning without really sinning? That's, what, that's why people ask me as a pastor, you know, what does the Bible say about this? What they're really saying is, how close can I get to sinning without sinning? Is there a loophole that I can get around here in all of this? And if you, if you grew up in different parts of Christianity, um, all different ways that we do this. If, if you're a Catholic on one hand, you had a great system, it was called confession, right? And so you could party hard and go wild all weekend and then just dump it all on the priest the next day. That's all clear. And hey, I'm not making fun of Catholics, Protestants, don't laugh either. We've got our own way of doing it. We just go along to 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. Write it down if you need a loophole, because here it is. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we just say, I'm sorry, right? Um, the other end of the spectrum, liberal Christians, you know, right, at, right on the left-hand side, they just go, well, no, you know, look, I just believe that's all passed down oral tradition, right? That what Jesus and Paul said, it's just oral tradition, so I kind of don't pay attention to that. So we have all these different ways that we get around the truth of what Jesus says, and we love our loopholes. And what happens is that any time we run into anything, and I'm sure you've never done this, I'm sure you've never done this, you know, anything that you run into a part of the Bible or Jesus' words that you don't like, you end up saying to yourself, oh, well, yeah, that's, yeah, that's oral tradition. Or that doesn't apply to me. Or uh, I'll just close one eye or I'll just go sideways around this, right? And the reality is this has been happening for thousands of years. It's nothing new. The religious people of Jesus' day were constantly finding a loophole around God's words. We see this in Jesus has a stoush with some religious leaders and they'd become obsessed with the rules and they'd taken this good law of God's and they'd reduced it to a certain set of commands. And so one day these religious types that were called the Pharisees confront Jesus and they they have a bit of a stoush with him and they say this in Matthew chapter 15, 
Then some Pharisees and teachers of the law came to Jesus from Jerusalem and asked, Why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? They don't wash their hands before they eat. Why do do they do this? Now, uh, this tradition of the elders, as it says here in Matthew chapter 15, uh, that was not part of the law of God. That was just some, that was a rule that they had made up. The tradition of the elders was a rule that they made up. The same way that your parents made up the rule saying, you can't go and stay over at your boyfriend or your girlfriend's place lest anything happens. Remember those sorts of self-made rules? A rule to help you not break the rules. You know those sorts of rules? Right? That's what the tradition of the elders were. And so the Pharisees were criticizing Jesus' disciples for breaking rules of the rules. And Jesus calls it out. He says, hang on, the crazy thing is like, This ceremonial cleansing and washing their hands, that only applied to the priests and their special thing. Not everyday people. What what are you doing here? And then Jesus replies, And then, why do you break the command for the sake of your tradition? For God said, Honor your father and mother. Anyone who curses their father or mother is to be put to death. That's pretty clear. (laughs) But you say that if anyone declares that what might have been used to help their father or mother is devoted to God, they're not to honor their mother or father with it. It sounds really confusing. Here's, here's what they were doing. Um, the, the law was pretty clear. There was a retirement system in place for older people. It was look after mum or dad. And what these religious people were doing is they found a loophole that said, hang on, if I take the money that I should be using to look after mum or dad and say that it's devoted for God, then I don't have to pay for their retirement plan. And Jesus calls them out on this particular loophole. He says, hang on, what are you doing? You're just, you're just keeping the money for yourself. Here's, here's what Jesus doesn't like. Jesus doesn't like it when we use his words to avoid doing his will. Uh, the, the most classic modern version of that is um, Christians, you know, when it comes to the tithe, giving 10% away of your income uh, to God for his purposes. And the most classic line that I hear is, oh, that's, that's, that's Old Testament theology, right? And we Christians use the loophole of theology, and we love theology because theology is where you build the barricade that keeps you from having to do what the Bible says that you should do. And they say, well, that's Old Testament, to which I say to you, well, that's fine, just say that to Jesus. Hey, Jesus, thanks, thanks for coming to die for me and um, so I could get to keep more of my stuff. We love loopholes. We love loopholes. (laughs) And look, tithing is one thing. But Christians have used loopholes over the years to cause all sorts of pain and persecution to people. Persecution to a Jewish people, to black people, gay people, and divorced people. They've always used loopholes to set themselves apart. And here's what I've noticed, and I don't know if you've noticed about uh, Christians that use the loopholes, they like to use the scriptures rather than obey them. They're really good at spouting it out. And most importantly, have you noticed with a loophole Christian, is that they're really good at identifying your sin (laughs) with whatever the loophole may be. So it begs the question, where might we be twisting his words to avoid his will? And so understanding this propensity to gravitate to what's comfortable 
and to what is self-interested for us. Jesus gathers his followers together and he says in John 13, a new command I give to you, love one another. And so over the past couple of weeks, we've been saying, hey, uh, what is the difference between a Christian and a disciple? And we've talked grace and we've talked truth and belong before you believe and judge the insider, not the outsider whose business and mind is to judge those outside the church. We've talked all this through and are you confused by the end of all of this? If you are, I get it. Jesus gets it. And so if, if it's hard to work out, what am I supposed to do? Judge, not judge? Who am I supposed to vote? How's all this supposed to work, Sam? If you're not too sure this morning, what I thought is that we would just take one phrase, one phrase that's going to simplify the whole lot. One phrase that if you're not sure of the theology, if you're not sure what you should be saying, if you're not sure who you should be speaking to, one phrase that if you get this phrase right, it has the ability to create the type of Christianity that Jesus intended the brand to be. And here's this phrase, what does love require of me? You might have heard it last week from Barry. What does love require of me in these situations? And that's why I've set up front that when we ask this question, are we Christians or disciples? The way that we will know we're disciples is whether we keep living our lives through this lens of love. Do I love the way that Jesus loves? Regardless of my opinion on a person's behavior, regardless of my opinion on someone's politics, do I love the way that Jesus loved? Pretty simple. What does love require of me? Now, um, there was a guy in the Bible who got this, and his name was Paul, and he was one of like the most A-type, um, tight, religious, goody-two-shoes sort of guys that you could have imagined. And he has an epiphany. Talk about a loophole rule follower. Paul was the man. Paul was one of the most religious types that we've seen. And Paul, the crazy thing, in his definition of love, he finally gets this epiphany from God on what it really means, rules versus love and all the rest of it. And God gives him this epiphany that thankfully would eventually be used by every non-Christian at a wedding service, because if they need to use the Bible, they need to use something that sounds poetic. And you know which passage of the Bible that I'm going to, because so many of you have heard this particular piece of Scripture in this version of love that Paul discovers, and he starts and he says, love is patient, love is kind. If you're confused, listen to this. Here's what love is. Love Love is loaning the other person your strength without reminding them of their weakness. I'll say that again. Love is loaning the other person your strength without reminding them of their weakness. Love is patient. Love is kind. It doesn't envy. It doesn't boast. It's not proud. It's not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Are you a record keeper? You're a grudge holder. I go on, feel free to keep writing. This is, this is brilliant stuff from Paul. Love does not delight, this one's great, love does not delight in evil but rejoices in the truth. Here's, here's what that means. Love does, love does not enjoy catching people doing wrong things and saying, aha. Right? How many Christians have we met that live with that type of posture? <laughs> love does not enjoy catching people doing something wrong. It always protects, that is, it doesn't smuggle anything negative or bad into the relationship. Love has the other person's back. It always protects, it always trusts, it always hopes, and it always 
preserves. So are we following Jesus? Am I following Jesus? Are you following Jesus? Are we loving in this as I have loved you way that Paul finally gets the epiphany of? And then he concludes his chapter. And what's amazing in a culture that thinks that Christianity has been reduced to belief only. Paul says, now the greatest of these three things remain faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is not what you believe and not what you're dreaming of in the future. The greatest of all of these things, he says, is love. It's love, the religious guy. (laughs) It's love. It's the as I've loved you, so you must love one another. And so when you are unsure, church, of what to say or what to do, when someone pushes up against you that pushes you the wrong way, if you see behavior that you don't quite agree with, you ask yourself this question, what does love require of me in this circumstance? What does love require me of me in this difficult circumstance? What does love require of me when I get hurt? What does love require of me when I disagree with the other person? What does love require of me when I don't get my own way? What does love require of me when nobody else is paying attention? What does love require of me? And as we finish this morning, I know this can sound mushy. This could sound liberal. It could sound like it's, we've just thrown all of the sort of concrete nature of Christianity out the window. If we just say, just love people. But it's not. If you see the way that these guys love, Paul, Jesus, the type of love that they had for people cost them their lives. This is difficult. And you know this. Try doing life with a whole bunch of people that you're not sure you really like at times. <laughs> That's called the church. We learn to love one another. My auntie always used to say that to me. Mm, sometimes I don't like you, but I still got to love you. And that's what Christianity is. If you want to know what the brand represents, I may not like you, but I still have to learn how to love you. And so we ask the question, what does love require of me? And you know what? When... Followers of Jesus asked that question. That's what changed the world. Because people went out into the countryside and it wasn't just a way of thinking, it was a way of living. And it was undeniably true that that's what changed the the world. At the end of his book, atheist professor Bart Ehrman makes this remarkable observation. Here's what he writes. He says, Christianity was a revolution that affected government practices, legislation, art, literature, music, philosophy, and even more fundamental level, the very understanding of billions of people about what it means to be human. And however one evaluates the merit of the case, whether the Christianization of the West was a triumph to be treasured or a defeat to be lamented, no one can deny that it was the most monumental cultural transformation our world has ever seen. It's amazing. And it's true. And you and I get invited to be a part of that and to propagate that and to pay that forward. And so when it comes to us, what we do together on Sundays during the week (laughs) will be excellent. We will be efficient. We'll be slick. And so is Apple and Microsoft and Netflix. But the question is, will we be Christ-like, church? Will we be Christ-like? And that's not up to us here as just some collective idea. It's up to you, and 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 it's up to me individually in the lives that we live. 
And as the church, we will never really suffer from a lack of talent or giftedness in this place. But the thing that always concerns me the most is that we would suffer from a lack of Christ-likeness. And so Jesus doesn't like it when we use His words to malign and to mistreat those that He died for. And guess what? You've never met someone that He hasn't died for regardless of their political beliefs or their persuasions. You have never met a person that Jesus Christ did not die for. And he wants you to ask the question when you are in front of them, what does love require of me in that moment? What does love require me in this circumstance? What does love when I've been mistreated require of me? What does love when I was left out require of me? What does love when they took my idea and ran with it require of me? What does love require of me when things are not great? What does love require me of when things are great? And if, if that question characterizes the very forefront of our minds as believers in this place, then there is great hope for this generation of Christians. May we rebrand the brand. Who knows what we might do? Who knows what God might do through us? Not because we won or we agree theologically, but because we embrace the single thing that Jesus Christ said was most important to you and I. As I have loved you, love one another. Let's pray. Lord, help us with this. And I pray for anyone here this morning who doesn't like each other. If there be any lack of reconciliation in this place between brother or sister, I pray into that this morning, Lord. I would ask for courage and humility in those relationships to be repaired and to be restored. Father, I pray for the times in which uh, we can allow our preferences and our politics and our persuasions to get in the way of love for a human that you died for, Lord Jesus. And so, Lord, I would pray that at least in this room and on this stream and whoever is within the sound of my voice, that, Father, we would rediscover the powerful and the beautiful command that you give to us. And so as we move out into our week this week, Lord, May each and every one of us, whether, whether we're a follower of Jesus or not, don't have to be a Christian to do this. The world would be a better place if every person in this auditorium took that question to the forefront of every observation that they have this week. What does love require of me? Help us with that by your Holy Spirit, I pray. In Jesus' name. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.